I'm going to start this morning by reading some scripture. I'm going to read a little bit from 1 Samuel chapter 2, and then I'm going to have them project the scripture from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we'll read that together. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priest. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod. And his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. Chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight was growing dim and he could not see well. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he, referring to Eli, said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And the Lord, my page won't turn. There we go. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been yet revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that it was the Lord calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. Would you say that with me? Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Verse 15, So Samuel lay down until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And he said, what is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Thus Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fail. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, it is with a great sense of expectation that we come to your throne this morning. 
And we ask you, my Father, in the great name of Jesus, that you would open our ears this morning to hear a word from you. That, Father, it wouldn't be just a word that would cross our minds and we would quickly forget it. We are asking, my Father, for a word that would lodge in our hearts to such a degree that we could not be the same person leaving that we were walking in today. We're asking, my Father, that we might have the spirit of a little Samuel to say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening to you. Father, we live in a grave moment, and we ask in this hour, my Father, would you speak to us, your people, a word that will allow us to navigate our way through the chaos of voices that are all around us and to walk in the way that you, our Lord and our God, has prepared for us. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I was 19 years old when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I did not get to grow up in church like some of you did. So when I came to church, I came basically as a pagan, knowing little to nothing about God at all. But I knew this, from the moment that I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I began to learn and know his voice. I began to know when he spoke to me, I began to understand the nudges of the Holy Spirit as he began to guide and direct me. Sometimes I hid it and sometimes I missed it. But even when I missed hearing the voice of the Lord, I always got back up and said, speak Lord, your servant listens. I think that we as a church are in such a critical moment and in such a critical hour, and there are so many voices around us. It would almost seem to me that there are times that we have more faith in a political party than we do in the word of the living God. That we seem to have more faith in Fox and CBS and NBC and all the other media genres out there. We have more faith in their translations and their exegesis on what's going on in our world today than we do in the word of the Lord himself. And I truly believe with all that is within me, we've got to tune our ears to hear the voice of the Lord. We have to become sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit in this hour because God is speaking to his church. We've listened to every other voice. We've run after every other voice. It is time that we stop for just a moment and listen for the small, still voice of this God that we serve, the one whom we know is Jesus, the only begotten of the Father. A case in point, it was about two years ago. You guys know that I have a place out at Mineral Wells, and it's night, it's about 10 o'clock, and I need to take my dogs out for one last walk before we turn out the lights and call it a day. Now, I'm a Southern girl. Anyone who knows me well, you know that. I still believe that pinto beans and cornbread is one of the finest meals on the planet. <laughs> You're Southern too. And I still believe that barefoot is always the best and favored way to go. I was about to take my dogs out for the night and let them do what they do. And I was gonna do it barefooted. And so I had them on their leashes and I was about to walk out the door with them and I just heard this voice, this inner nudge say, hey, you know that really cool flashlight that Stuart got for Father's Day? Go grab his flashlight and just look outside and see what's outside the door. 
And I'm thinking, I don't have time. I'm tired. I'm ready to go to bed. And I start out the door a second time. And that, that nudge came again. And I looked over by the door, and there was that flashlight. And I thought, well, I might as well just get the flashlight and shine it around outside. And when I did, right outside my door on my welcome mat was this. You can barely see it. It was a five to six foot long diamondback rattlesnake. And I would, have, I would have stuck my bare foot out there right where it was. That was the best picture I could get. It's important, critical, that we learn to hear and respond to the voice of the Lord. This is just one incident. I'll bet if we were to have testimonies in this place this morning that we could hear people say, that they have had times when God interrupted their dates with disaster and spoke to them and moved them in a different direction. Church, this ought not be just an occasional event of our lives. We ought to be a people who hear God on a regular and consistent basis. The passage from 1 Samuel that I read to you from chapter 2 and chapter 3, the first thing that we have to notice is that this picture in scripture takes place during a crisis. We're introduced to the sons of Eli. They're the moral gatekeepers of Israel because they're priests and they are filled with every kind of vile activity imaginable. They're referred to as worthless, meaning that there is no profit in these men for the things of God's kingdom and they do not know the Lord. And yet these are the moral gatekeepers of Israel. I am concerned at moments when I look around at the church at large and I see the men and the women who call themselves ministers of Jesus Christ and yet their lives are filled with all kinds of immorality and vile activities. And if you listen to them long enough, you will find that they will say things like Jesus is one way of many ways. And these men and women who should be the moral gatekeepers of the church of Jesus Christ are worthless and filled with every vile thing because they do not know the Lord. These men did not honor their position, their call, and their sacred trust. As a matter of fact, they used the very role that God had placed them in to take advantage of other people. The women who would come to serve God were taken advantage of by these men because they did not know God and they did not care about the things of God and they did not honor nor revere the holy things of God. They looked down on the offering of the Lord. If you were to read further in chapter 2, you would find that when people came to make their offerings to the Lord, that if they gave these men a piece of meat that they did not like in a way that they did not want it, these two boys would fight the people and take the meat by force. These are the priests of God acting like this. They looked down on the offering of God and worship was not precious to them. Eli, their father, was aware of the voice of the people because he said to his sons, I've heard what the people are saying about you. I've heard what the voices all around me are saying about the way that you're behaving. It seems that Eli was more in tune with the voice of the people around him than he was with the voice of the Lord. I pray that we as followers of Jesus Christ never reach a place in our walk with him to where we are more in tune with the voice of culture than we are with the voice and the nudge of the Holy Spirit himself. Eli told his boys to straighten up and to act right, but they didn't listen to their father. Can I say this to you? The first point 
of hearing the voice of the Lord is to pay attention to the voice of those whom he has placed over you in positions of authority. Young people, listen to the voice of your mom and your dad and heed the voice of your mom and your dad. Heed the voice of that spiritual covering that God has given to you. Heed the voice of your pastor. Heed the voice of the leaders that God's placed all around you. Sometimes we don't want to listen to what they have to say to us because we don't like it. And so we walk away from what we know is right, to do our own thing. And then we say, but God hasn't spoken to us. When God has certainly spoken to us, he's spoken to us through the leaders and through those people who have authority over our lives. The crisis is simply this in chapter two. God's not speaking to Eli, nor to his sons. When I say that God is not speaking, I simply mean this. I believe that God is always speaking. God is a very communicating God. From the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, God is speaking to his people always. I think the real crisis is that people aren't listening to him. Eli and the sons of Eli have turned a deaf ear to the voice of God. The voice of culture has ruled and reigned in their life, but know that the voice of culture will always try to compete with the voice of the Lord for our attention. And we have to make a concerted effort to say no to the voices around us so that we can tune our ear to hear the voice of the Lord. There are a couple of reasons that I've found, if you're not hearing the Lord, there are a couple of reasons that I've found. Let me give you five reasons five common reasons why we do not hear the voice of the Lord or why God is not speaking to us. The number one reason, and you all already know it, God doesn't speak because there's unconfessed sin from an unrepentant heart. If you are harboring sin, known sin, in your heart and in your life, and you're not confessing that, the only word that you're going to hear from the Lord is repent. And until you respond to that and offer that up to the Lord and ask him to cleanse you and to forgive you, nothing more will come from him. Isaiah chapter 6 is proof of this. Isaiah sees the Lord and it's not until he says, For behold, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then the coal from off of God's altar touches his lips. Then he hears the Lord. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Unconfessed sin will keep you from hearing the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 21. The Lord says, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you did not want to hear me. When we are in a place of prosperity, when we think that we've got everything that we need, when the bank account is full, when no one's sick and everything's going well for us, and we do not think that we need God, then we do not listen for him. As long as we can do it for ourselves, most often we will. I think some of you have been brought to some difficult places in your life because God is desperately trying to get your attention and get you to a place where you will listen to him and hear his voice. He speaks to us in our prosperity, but we don't listen to him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, disobedience. God tells Abram, take your family, take Sarah and leave your family and leave this place and go to a land that I will show you. And verse 2 says, and Lot went with him. 
God doesn't speak to Abraham again, or at least it's not recorded for God to speak to Abraham again until Lot separates from him. Sometimes God has told us to do something and we have not done it and the disobedience will keep him from giving us another word. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham again. God tells him, take up your son, your only son Isaac, and go to the place where I will show you. And there, present, to him, present him to me as a sacrifice. And for three days, God remains silent because this is a time of testing for Abraham. Sometimes God tells you to do something, and we think God might say, I want you to go from here and five steps forward. I'll take one step, and I'm waiting for God to tell me it's okay to take another step when he's already told me to take five. Sometimes God is expecting us to act like mature adults and simply do what he tells us to do. I know this sounds like a hard word, but this is the kindest thing I could possibly give to you because until we can hear God, we will constantly be dependent on the voices all around us. But when we learn to hear the voice of the Lord and trust the nudge of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it will set you free in ways that you cannot even begin to imagine. There are times when God doesn't speak to us or we do not hear his voice because he is exposing our heart to us. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31 tells us that God remains silent or removes himself from us that we might see what is in our hearts. But even when God's not speaking to us, even when he's silent or even when we're not able to hear him, even then he is still speaking to us because his silence is telling us something. When God's not speaking or you're not hearing him, here's some things to think about or some questions that you should ask yourself. Obviously, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Number two, am I wrongly thinking that I do not need God or am I only seeking him in a crisis? Let me stop and make a point here. When I talk about hearing the voice of the Lord, I'm talking about hearing him on a daily relational level. I wonder if what we're guilty of is that we only want God to speak to us when we need a one-word answer, when we need a specific direction. Which stock do I invest in to make the most money? Speak, Lord. Do I marry him or do I marry him? Speak, Lord. I hope you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. We only want to hear from God about specific things, and usually it would be one or two word answers. That's not the kind of conversation God's wanting to have with you. He says in John chapter 10, my sheep know my voice and they'll not follow another. He wants you to be so intimately acquainted with him that you know even his whisper and can sense and respond to even the slightest nudge of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we need to consider, am I only waiting for specific answers or am I really wanting to hear the heart of God even if he leaves my questions unanswered? Because you see, sometimes the goal of God is not to answer your questions. Job, in the entire book of Job, Job's screaming, why? Why have I gone through this? Why have I lost everything? Why am I suffering? What have I done? What's my crime? 
And he cries these things out over and over again. He even says, I would that God would come down. I've got a question to ask him. God does come down. And when God does come down, this is what Job says, shut my mouth. I have said things too big for me. God never answers Job's questions. He just shows up and comforts the heart of this man and he has a conversation with him. The fourth thing that we need to consider if God's not speaking to us, have I done the last thing that God asked me to do? Why would he show me the next step if I haven't done the last step? See, here's what it looks like for me. Uh, No, I don't like that response. Let me try again. Let me ask you, God, the same question. Let me rearrange the words and see if I can get a different answer. Sometimes that works with my husband, but it never works with God because he knows that I'm just rewording the same question, looking for a different response. Have you done the last thing that God's asked you to do? The fifth one, this is just a test. Be obedient and do what you know is right. If God's not speaking, that's not a reason for you to take a moral vacation. If God's not giving you direction and specific instruction for your life, if you're not sensing him speak to you, if there are no divine nudges in your life, then I have seen people use that as an excuse. Well, I guess God doesn't like me, so I'm going to go off here and do my own thing. When God's not speaking to you, that is not an excuse for you to go off and do things that are contrary to the word of God. Well, God's not talking, so I guess it's okay for me to commit adultery today. God's not speaking, so lying's okay. You know it isn't. God's not speaking. You keep doing what you know is right. Because the God that speaks in the light, what he speaks in the light still holds true in moments of darkness. And there are moments when by faith we have to believe that what he has revealed to us in the light, what he has spoken to us in those moments of illumination is still true and still right and still accurate even when we are shrouded with darkness all around. What is this time of silence revealing to me about my own heart? Is God showing me that my motives are not right? That I've been serving him and pursuing him because I want to get something out of him or because I've got an end game in the situation. There are times when God is silent or he doesn't allow me to hear him because he is revealing what's in my heart. And finally, ask yourself this question. What are you learning about the character and nature of God during this moment? Samuel Terrian, one of my favorite Old Testament theologians, wrote a book called The Elusive Presence. And in that book, he said that even when God is silent, he is revealing his nature and his character. Because God cannot be silent about who he is and the greatness of his majesty. So chapter 2, they're not hearing God. There's no word from God. The word of God was rare and there were no visions in that day. And because of it, the house of the Lord at Shiloh was in chaos and disrepair. So what's to be done? Samuel was ministering before the Lord. This is the cure. 
We are introduced to Samuel, and he's just a little boy. He's sleeping in the tent of the Lord, in the tabernacle, and he's sleeping before the Ark of the Covenant. He's ministering before the Lord. He doesn't know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, but this young man is doing what he knows is right. Some of you are waiting for God to show you what the next move in your life is, maybe to show you or to help define, to crystallize or clarify the call of God in your life. Just breathe in and breathe out. Keep doing what you know is right. Spend time in the presence of the Lord. Spend time in his word. Spend time in worship. Spend time in fellowship and constantly have the attitude of, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. That's what Samuel is doing. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him, but he was still doing everything that he was supposed to do. His name, Samuel, is composed of two words, Shema and El. El, of course, means God. Shema is maybe one of the most important words in all of the Hebrew language. Shema means to hear and to obey. In Hebrew thinking, it is absolutely beyond comprehension that someone would hear God and not obey God. Your hearing is not complete without obedience. There are so many times that when I pray from this pulpit or from other places in this fellowship that I will say, Father, help us to not just be hearers of your word, but to become doers as well. I am in essence saying, help us to hear and to obey and to do that which you have asked us to do. The Shema is one of the first words that any Hebrew child would learn. As a matter of fact, there's a prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that every Hebrew child will learn. It is the first prayer they learn to pray, and as they die, if they have breath, it will be the last prayer that they pray. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Hear and obey. I would that the church of Jesus Christ in this hour would once again get Shema in their heart. I will hear and I will obey. When you speak to me, Lord, whether it's through your written word, whether it's through the preached word, when you speak to me, I will do what you are asking me to do. If we would hear and obey, can I tell you, it would change us. It would change your marriage. It would change your finances. It would change your relationships. But most important of all, it would change your relationship with God. And a transforming work would take place inside of you. His mother made a robe for him every year. This is an indication that his mom, Hannah, was praying for him. And that robe, I believe, is a metaphorical response to her prayers. And she brought a robe for him every year. Parents, may I use this as a moment to say to you, pray for your children. Pray that they learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Teach them to listen to the Lord and to listen for the Lord. Do not treat hearing the Lord as some trivial plaything, but as the most important, one of the most important parts of their Christianity. One of the greatest things that you can do for your children is to teach them, to train them to hear the Lord for themselves and then to respond to him in obedience. Samuel may have been out of Hannah's sight, but he was never out of her heart. 
Almost all of us are either being mentored or we are mentoring, whether it's children, grandchildren, BSM students, people that are a part of your congregation. We are all being mentored or mentorees. It is important that we teach those that are under us the importance of hearing the Lord for themselves. The call of Samuel. He was ministering before the Lord, before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare. We are told that Eli was losing his vision. I think that there's a connection here between the word of the Lord and vision. Without a fresh proceeding word from the Lord, we will lose our vision. The word in Hebrew for vision simply means to come undone or to be in a state of chaos without any structure, without any form, without any destination. If there's any word that describes the nation that we're a part of right now, that would be it. We are a nation in chaos. We don't need another political party. We don't need another voice telling us that we need these rights and we need this over here and that over there. What we need is a word from the Lord. If your family is in chaos, if your marriage is in chaos, if some part of your life is coming unraveled, coming undone, what you need is not another counseling session, and I believe in counseling, but what we ultimately need is a word from the Lord. We need for him to speak to us and not just speak to us. We need to be obedient to what he says to us. Eli's losing his vision because without a word from the Lord, we will lose our vision. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out. Hallelujah. This means that there is still hope. As long as God is speaking to a generation, there is still hope. And can I tell you, I deal every day with a group of young people and God is speaking to them. And because God is speaking to them and calling them to be prophets and apostles and pastors and evangelists and teachers, there is hope for our future. Because God's not calling them for a dead-end moment. He's calling them for a future of hope and brightness. I believe that the greatest days of the church are in front of us and not behind us. And if the generation that's being raised up in this moment is any indication of what God's about to do, we should all be shouting hallelujah because it is a great group of young people that God's raising up. Samuel was sleeping in the presence of the Lord. What a place to sleep. The Lord spoke his name, but he wasn't familiar with the voice of the Lord, so he went to the only voice of authority that he knew, and that was the voice of Eli. For every mom, for every dad, for every pastoral leader in the house, there will be people that when God speaks to them, they will come to you. Because you're the closest thing to the voice of the Lord that they've ever heard. And it is up to us, it is incumbent upon us to say the next time he speaks, say, Lord, here is your servant, speak to me, I'm listening to you. Don't get in their way. Don't try to interpret for them. Put them back in the presence of the Lord so that they can learn to hear the Lord for themselves. The Lord spoke Samuel's name, but he was not familiar with the voice of the Lord. So he went to Eli. Every one of us in this house should be mentoring someone. And every one of us should have a mentor in our lives. You want to learn to hear the voice of the Lord? Well, you learn to hear his voice by hearing his voice. 
and being still long enough to listen to him. When God speaks, these are some of the things that he will say. He will give you affirmation. He'll give you encouragement. He will also correct you. He will confirm your direction or convict you that your present direction is the wrong one. When he speaks, it can bring healing. When he speaks, it is empowering. And let me, I just have to say this. There's so many things I just have to say. I just have to say this. All other religions, the gods that they serve, seek to take power from them. But the God that we serve seeks to give power to us. He spoke to his disciples and he said, do not leave Jerusalem until you be empowered from on high. He is an empowering God. God does not take power from us. He gives us legitimate, real power to be used for the glorification of his name and the extension of his kingdom. When he speaks to you, it will be an empowering word. When God speaks to you, you don't need anybody else's word. When God tells you what you need to do, you don't need to call 50 people and have 50 people agree with you for what the Lord has told you. When God speaks to you and you know that it's him speaking, your only response is, yes, Lord. When God speaks, it can be directional. Sometimes when God speaks, he just wants to talk. And church, I think it's time that we listen. Prayer is not a monologue. It's a dialogue. Your prayer is not complete if you don't take just a moment and say, Father, I have emptied my heart to you and voiced my concerns. Now I wait on you. Speak, Lord. Is there anything on your heart that you would like to say to me? He is a speaking, communicating God. And he wants, when he speaks, it will be those things. When God speaks, it will never be to tear you down. When God speaks, it will never be to tell you that you're a complete failure and you'll never be any better than where you are right now. That's the voice of the enemy and not the voice of the Lord. Even when God corrects, he might say something, if you will stop doing this, repent and surrender that part of your life, then I will make a way over here. When, even when he corrects, there's a positive element because even when he corrects us, he's speaking to us words of hope and promise about what's going to happen if we do what he tells us to do. When I was a little girl, my dad had a friend named Louis Horvath, and my dad actually worked on Louis Horvath's car, and he and his family became friends with our family. Louis had a small plane. I believe it was a small single-engine Cessna, if there's any such thing. I just think that's what it was. It was a small plane. There was only room for about four people, very cramped. And he asked if he could take my brother and I, my brother's a year younger than me, if he could take my brother and I up in his plane, and my mom and dad said yes. And so my brother and I, nine, ten years old, we are able to go up in this plane. Now it's toward evening, and as we're flying around, and I'm just, my breath is just taken away by the beauty of, of being in this elevated place, and I can see everything, and he flies over our house, and I can see our house, and, and it's just a wonderful experience. It's getting dark, and I ask him, Mr. Horvath, it's getting dark. How are you going to know where the landing strip is? Now, I think that was a very legitimate question. I mean, I'm glad we're up here, but I want to know I can get back down. 
And I remember him telling me, when we get to the landing strip, I'll show you. I've got ways of knowing exactly where to go. And we got to the landing strip, and he said, do you see those three lights shining in the darkness? And I saw the three lights. And he said, when I am where I'm supposed to be, all three of those lights will look like a single light. And then I'll know that I'm exactly where I need to be, and we can safely land. And we did, obviously, but I never forgot that principle about the three lights lining up. Do you want to know if the words that you're hearing is from the Lord? Let me give you three ways, three lights that can line up and confirm to you that this is the voice of the Lord. First, God will never speak a word to you that's contrary to his written word. Know his word. I tell BSM students over and over and over again, read the word, memorize the word, study the word, because when you do, it's like making a deposit in a spiritual checking account, and when God needs to make a withdrawal, there's something there for him to pull from. Too many times, God's tried to pull something from us, and it's come back insufficient funds because we've not been putting the word into our lives and into our hearts and committing it to memory. God will never ask you to do anything that's contrary to his word. All other words, whether they come through prophetic words, dreams, visions, sermons, circumstances, situations, they all have to line up with the book. The second is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit witness inside of you that this is the word of the Lord, and this is what the word is speaking. And finally, church leadership and pastoral leadership. If you sense that the Lord is telling you to sell everything that you've owned and go to the mission field, you really do need to make an appointment and talk to your pastor. You really do need to check it out with leadership. For me, those three things have saved my life over and over and over again. Church, God wants to speak to us and train us to hear his voice. Even Eli, the priest himself, did not recognize that it was God speaking to Samuel. And he sent Samuel back to bed twice, and it was only on the third time. You guys know God spoke to Samuel four times before Samuel got it? Don't be afraid that you're going to miss God. He is a good, good father, and he's going to keep speaking to us until we get it. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. The writer of this book, which is probably Samuel himself, he connects knowing the Lord with hearing the voice of the Lord, and that's absolutely fantastic in light of John chapter 10, verse 27, which indicates that if we are Jesus, if we belong to Jesus, then we know his voice, and we're going to follow his voice. It took three times for Eli to figure it out. And finally, he instructs Samuel, the next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then on that fourth time, the Lord came, stood, and spoke to him, Samuel, Samuel. The word of the Lord is always associated with his presence. And when God is present, his word is always there. Because Samuel listened and obeyed the word of the Lord, God appeared again at Shiloh. Shiloh was in a mess, and the people had lost their faith in the leadership and their passion for the tabernacle. But Samuel heard and obeyed the Lord, and God restored hope and faith and trust in the parts of the people. 
As I come to a close, there are seven things. Isn't that beautiful? Someone says, I'm coming to a close and says there are seven things. <laughs> there are seven things that we can learn from Samuel about hearing the voice of the Lord. Thing number one, God wants to speak to you. Not because we are good, but because he is good. Sometimes we think, I haven't been good this week, so God's not going to speak to me. God's not going to speak to you because you're good. He's going to speak to us because he's good. Number two, if you are his, he will speak to you. He may not speak through the venue that you want, but he will speak. He will speak through his written word. He speaks through sermons, through music, through nature, through the world around us, historical events, circumstances, fellowship with others, prophets, pastors, prayer, literature, poetry. He speaks to me through Lord of the Rings. Oh, I should have gotten a louder amen from this group over here. God can speak to us through so many ways. We just have to be listening for him. Number three, we may not like what he has to say, but when God speaks, we do not get to vote on it. It is not a democracy. God is neither Republican nor Democrat nor Independent. He is God and God alone. And when he speaks, we are his to command as he will. Number four, when he speaks, the truth of what he has spoken is just as relevant in the dark moments as it is in the well-lit moments. When God says, this is the way, walk you in it, and you hear the choirs of angels singing, and you've got warm fuzzies and goosebumps everywhere, it's not hard to keep going. But when you know that you've heard the voice of the Lord, and the dark place breaks loose all around you, and nobody likes you, and everybody wants to take a bite out of you, you have to believe that what God spoke to you in the light is just as true in the dark moments. How many times has God spoken to something and as long as we had the goosebumps and the warm fuzzies and everything was wonderful, we kept walking in it. But the minute something went wrong, we began to doubt and question whether we'd actually heard the Lord or not. Think about the baptism of Jesus. He baptized, he's baptized by John. He comes up out of the water and, and the skies roll back and the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God descends upon him like, as in, a dove, in the bodily form of a dove and then, I'm sure he voted yes on that, and then 40 days he's in the wilderness fasting. And at the end of that fast, here comes the devil for a time of trying and tempting. Church, sometimes when God tells you to do something and you do it, it is not easy. It is costly. It will make your flesh shrink back. And it will cost you to go a trip to go to the cross because it will mean the crucifixion of your flesh and the death of some of your dreams and some of your ideas. But what God speaks in the well-lit moments are just as relevant and just as true even in the darkness. The fifth thing that we can learn, learning to hear or to discern the voice of the Lord is a learned trait. We will stumble and we will fall, but we should always get up and go back after it. I'm watching little ones learn to walk. They'll take a step or two and then they'll fall. They'll get up, they'll take another step or two and they will fall. They will do this repeatedly again and again and again until finally they get it. 
Why is it that we would applaud that behavior in a baby so that they can learn to walk, but yet we, see, we think we heard God, we missed it, and we decide never to listen again? How foolish is that? You will fall. You will fail. Get over yourself. And move on and determine in your heart that you're going to keep learning to listen to the voice of the Lord. Six, do not wait for a crisis to listen for the voice of the Lord. Make it a routine event in your daily devotional life. After you've done your immersed readings, ask the Lord, speak, Lord, through my scripture reading today. Is there anything that you would like to say to me? The next one. God will never speak something to you that is in violation or contradiction to his written word. Know his word. Always take any word that you believe that the Lord has spoken to you and filter it through the written word of Scripture. God wants to speak to you. God has been speaking to you. He wants you to listen to him. He wants you to learn to have confidence that what you're hearing is indeed him. It's a risk that we have to take stepping out sometimes because how many of you know without faith it is not possible to please God? So even hearing the Lord will require faith on our part. There are people in our culture that would tell us that for us to be a people who say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and then to believe that God might actually speak to us would put us in the mentally unhinged category. Now, granted, there are some people that are just that. But our Christianity is very much built on the foundation that God speaks to us. If you're in this house this morning and you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you've been born again, God's spoken to you because you would, have not have, you would not have been born again and stepped out to have that encounter with him had you not heard the voice of his spirit drawing you and calling you. If you're in this place this morning and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've heard the voice of the Lord. Because at some point you committed yourself, Father, I know that this is something that you want for me and I feel you urging and nudging me toward this encounter with, with you. You've heard from the Lord. So I think most of you already hear the voice of the Lord. You just need to practice it a little bit more because Jesus loves you so much and he wants to talk to you. I remember 20 years ago, the year before Stuart and I got married, and even now, if we're apart for more than a few hours, if you look at my cell phone, it's Stuart, 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 and then maybe somebody else, and then five more Stuarts. And it's not because I have to call him, he has to call me. I just like to talk to my husband. How's your day? How's your lunch? What'd you eat? Who'd you talk to? Because I love him, and I want to have communication with him. If I as a human, love my husband and want to have conversation with him, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to talk to you? If you're here this morning and you're saying, Lord, I've heard you. I just want to hear you more. I want you to speak because your servant is listening. Would you stand with me?
Lord Jesus, all I can think of in this moment is that you are the potter and we are the clay. And today your clay wants to hear you. Today your clay wants to respond to you. Not just hear you, not just parrot back your words. We want to hear you and obey you. We want to do that which you have asked of us. So Father, we are asking you to put within our hearts a hunger to hear your word and to be doers of your word. So Father, our joint prayer today is speak. Your servants listen. For the glory of Jesus' name, amen.